0: Welcome to episode 156 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, sharing, our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're a noob or a masto sudoer, welcome to the show. My name's Noah, with me today are the humanoid AI chatbots of Linux, Ryan, Michael, and Wendy. Ryan, what have you been up to this week?
1: So this week, uh, my local lug event for Linux and coffee, and we had a really good time. Uh, Bo showed up, which is always fun. He brought a computer of his cousin's that they had purchased. This this HP laptop that when you look up the model number and even has a QR code on it, and they just bought it at Best Buy. You look up the QR code number to scan the model, and HP site says pops up and says, "Sorry, this doesn't exist." You look oh. for the the model number on their website; it says doesn't exist. Yet they're selling this thing, and we could not, all of us there, get Linux installed on the drive because the controller that it uses, some proprietary controller, is not recognized by Linux at all. Um, So Bo then took out his uh, clip from his gun and said, I'll just take care of it later when I get home. So <laughs> that was the life of that laptop, uh, which well, we didn't get Arch on, or, uh, ins- anything installed on it. But Brian, who hosts it at his local business, also has been working on a really cool Arch script, which we'll get the link for and post it in the show notes that he is building that allows you to do the full pure Arch install. And basically... You go through and edit this one config file once you boot to Arch with what you want, your username, what drive you want to use, some basic information. You hit go, and it sets everything up for you from there, including doing all your drives and everything else, which I think is really cool uh, just from the coding aspect alone of what has been accomplished there. But that's something really looking forward to playing with there. So yeah, that's one cool. week of Linux stuff. Wendy, what have you been up to this week?
2: I've actually spent most of my week doing various podcasts and shows. So you heard me on Dln Extend, and then there's another surprise one that will be coming out. Actually, two, two more surprise ones.
1: That's that right. Will
2: be coming out later. So not so only, only are you o- a lot for me
1: officially a member of the Destination Linux Network. Which Finally. we're going to be announcing some stuff about that coming here real soon. But you're also making your rounds on a lot of the podcasts that are on the network, which is really cool. So people yep. are going to get their Wendy fix.
2: And I did an off the network show this last week. So yeah, I'm all over the place recently. Nice. Very cool. Yes. Noah, what have you been up to?
0: I have been work, doing a lot of work. Uh, January is a busy month for my company. And so the good news about that is it's a great time to kind of reset, look at what, how the technology landscape has kind of shifted and what different products are we going to offer to our customers? What different services are we going to offer to our customers? And of course, what that means for the Linux side is I went and bought a bunch of technology and brought it into the lab and into what we call the sandbox and started putting it together to see, you know, uh, what. What new things are going to be? What what new things I think are the best for 2020? And so, of course, over 2020, then we'll unpack that in Destination Linux and the Ask Noah show. So, if somebody else is out there looking for premier networking equipment or the 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 cheapest way to get the best bang for your buck, then stay tuned because that's what you're going to find out.
1: That sounds awesome. Awesome. So you've got all kinds of tech goodies. You're going to be doing some reviews on it, and we'll know finally what to, to buy after you've wasted all your money looking at all the junk.
0: That's exactly <laughs> right, Ryan. That's I love exactly it. What I'm that's
1: saying. pretty much how my channel runs too. So I can respect it.
0: That's great. And yeah. so uh, yeah, we 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 spend hours and hours and hours and spend uh, you know half of our life savings and hours of meticulous research so that you can spend twenty five bucks and get the right thing the first time.
2: I'm thankful for you guys that can do that.
0: Yes, I mean that's, that's how so I much came to on bubbly. The rest
2: of us. I
0: mean, <laughs> one of the most
1: important finds of 2020, Noah, that you gave me is this $550 can of bubbly uh, sparkling refreshing, water here.
0: The re- refreshing, r- refreshing drink that uh, that brings energy and breathes life back into the human body. I yeah, and it. allows
1: you to mess with tech more.
0: Yep. Hey, you know what else allows you to mess with tech more, Ryan? And breathes the life into you as an open source enthusiast, My
1: ears are open. I can't wait. What?
0: Digital Ocean. Ah, the reason yeah. that they, uh, th- and, and here's why, because they offer the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform optimized for making managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and everything else. So if you, if you're sitting down and you say to yourself, Self, what do I want to accomplish in 2020? It probably involves a computer. Yes, of course. It probably involves Linux. If it doesn't, you're doing it wrong. And if you want both of those things <laughs> and you're like, Michael, it didn't ask for a Raspberry then you don't have a computer to play on, but DigitalOcean has your back cover, buddy. Go to do.co slash DL and you're going to get one month free with a $50 credit. Now, again, that's a fifty-dollar credit, so you can spin up one of their five-dollar droplets, or you can spin up one of their two hundred, twenty-five hundred-dollar droplets if you want. Just run it for a little less time because that fifty bucks is going to carry you. You're going to get all that plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as five bucks per month, or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as zero point seven cents per hour. As Ryan would say at Star Near Free. So again, mm. to get started on DigitalOcean with that fifty dollar credit, go to do.co D L. Don't be like Michael. Have a box to play with.
1: And like Nico in our patron chat, surf the bubbly waves of the digital ocean. <laughs> I love that.
0: That's good. Yeah. that's good. I wonder if we can have a, yeah that's I like that. That's good. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
2: Now it's time for our community feedback, and we'll start with our first letter from James, who writes in to say, Good evening, guys. Patron here, and I've been in the Telegram group. I've spoken to all of you there, but I've been a little bit disengaged lately. I was after some advice, please. My wife has recently been diagnosed with a more difficult-to-treat breast tumor. This happened the day before the birth of our third child, and she is immediately starting chemotherapy. We're already doing the usual usual in such a situation, preparing and making sure we spend as much time together as we can before things get difficult. However, I was also wondering if anyone had any tips for anything relatively simple and quick that I could deploy to help the family manage and entertain itself through this. I already have a Kodi set up for my TV, films, music, and games, Prior to this, I had already moved a bunch of my services over to my own hosting locally, Viva, NextCloud, and other systems. I was also finishing off my own cobbled together baby monitor, CCTV, and doorbell using various IP setups. If anyone has been through similar medical issues and knows of any software or cheap hardware solutions, preferably a pipe base, that would work well for easing us through it all, and automating or improving as much of family life as possible. I'd really appreciate it. Additionally, this has jolted me to consider that, as well as putting together as I feel my current systems are, if I suddenly went, my family would potentially lose access to all kinds of services and data. My lovely encrypted and multiple backup pictures and other data are useless if they don't know where or what they are, or don't have the passwords and keys. So that is already one area that I'm going to improve the setup, a disaster recovery plan for my family to follow in such a situation. As I advise everyone to consider such a plan as you never know when you're going to go, thanks for the great show. I definitely need the information and the banter to keep my spirits up, James.
1: Well,
0: does anybody else have any advice? Otherwise I've got some stuff. Why
1: don't you go ahead, uh, Noah, and let us know what you're thinking. Cause a couple of these, I was like, Noah's the perfect person cause you've been working in a lot of this just recently, really.
0: So let's start with the obvious. We'd be remiss if we didn't say our thoughts and prayers go out to you and your family. And I wish you a, a speedy recovery. If it's worth anything, as far as hope goes, uh, Breast cancer is one of those things that it is one of the more treatable cancers, as I'm sure you're probably aware, and discussing with your doctor. And so, there's a lot of things that that can be done, and science has come a long way. You know, the the, the way that we portray cancer treatment in the movies, or people are just sick for days on end and stuff. Not that there aren't any downsides, but it's just it's gotten a lot better, just in, even in the last four or five years. And I know that because I work inside of clinics, and so I see these things firsthand. So that that that's first and foremost. And you're right. Spend time with your family. Prioritize those things first because it's the experiences that matter. The technology just enables the experience. That said, answering your question directly, uh, I'll start backwards. As far as what do you do as far as emergency planning should somebody who has the quote-unquote keys to the kingdom pass away? What we've done in our family is we have a legacy file, and it's a folder, and inside of the folder are scans of the title or the deed to our house, all of the uh, titles to our cars. There is a a key pass database with all of the encryption passwords for all of the backups. What else is in there? It's just anything that anything that my family would need to be able to get stuff out of technology is all in that single folder. My wife's aware of it. We each carry a fl- We each have a flash drive that once a month we put together and sync the the, ne- the necessary data together with our sync. And so she has a copy of the the key pass database, and I have a copy of the keypass database. And so, um, you know, uh, that's kind of our sync up. And so we call that our legacy file. Um, as far as, for me, I have to take that one step further because not only do I have to worry about like my data, I also have to consider the fact that I run a company and I have access to customer machines and their businesses have to have a contingency plan. And so what I've done is I've worked with other people actually in the Linux community that also own IT companies and I've reached out to them and said, hey, should any If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I'm going to have my wife and my team call you. I would like you to take over and you can have all those clients, treat them well and, and do whatever. And so my wife then has a, a separate file on how do you transition a company over to a different company. And so all of that's laid out for it. And I've planned ahead of time. And that can be a really cathartic thing to kind of step through, planning your life out like that, because then you know everybody is taken care of even if the worst happens. As far as the immediate thing, like how do I entertain my family? I have to take kids to doctor's appointments. We're going to be tied up. All those things are going through your mind. The answer to me is always a VPN, and here's why: there are all sorts of different ways you can go about solving the media problem, right? Like you could set up Plex, you could set up. Uh, I wouldn't recommend Jellyfin. I tried that last week. Man, was that a mistake? But
3: <laughs> well, you uh, tried it on it. You tried it on a VM. No no, 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 no. One, two, three,
0: four. Five pieces of physical hardware plus the original VM plus a second one. No. I okay, then. Believe, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, if you're going to do something, go with Plex. But then you got to open a hole up on your network, and then you're trusting Plex, and h- authenticate to Plex. It would have paid. Set up OpenVPN. VPN. It will take you five minutes. You can use the included script that we have in a past episode. It'll take five minutes to set it up. And what you can do then is you can run Cody. and there's a little device, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. It's called a GINet. And it's a small little router that allows you to run open VPN client on the router itself and so you take this little yellow box or 20 bucks on amazon.com and you 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 just take that box and you set it up with your you put put your open VPN client credentials in there and anytime that box gets power and an internet connection it will automatically tunnel back to your house so how does that help you you go out and purchase an Nvidia shield or a fire stick TV or whatever it is you want to buy that has Cody running onto it and just take that little GI net with you when you go to the hospital or when you go to a hotel because you're staying next to a bigger hospital or whatever the process entails, take that little GI router and connect it either to the Wi-Fi network or plug it into a hardwired connection. And what's going to come out the other side of it is your home network right on your LAN. And so you can plug your Kodi box in, you can plug your Fire Stick in, you can set the kids up on their tablets or their laptops or whatever it is that they want to do. And they'll have access to all the files, they'll have access to the next cloud, they'll have access to the to, to, to the coding media library, any of that stuff all becomes available to you. And it'll only cost you 20 bucks. So I, I think those are kind of, that's kind of the direction that I would go as as far as entertainment, because you're right, if you can center everything on the technology, then, and you point your kids and say, hey, when you, when you need something to do, go over here. When mom needs something to do, go over here. When we have to keep track of scheduling and appointments and what bills, you know, came in from what hospitals and stuff like that, all of that goes into the technology, into a free NASS box or something like that and organize it. And. You, you start to leverage technology to make your life easier as you go through this horrific gut punch of an experience. Um, and I think that will make the experience far more palatable.
1: I think your advice there is fantastic. When my daughter was born, she had a lot of health issues. We spent a lot of time in the hospital. Uh, I also had to work and had to. I was finishing up college at the time. So it was like a perfect storm of events taking place. I know that for my son and uh, eventually my daughter, who also spent a lot of time in the hospitals from being a baby to becoming a toddler. And when she got to the toddler part, she wanted to be entertained at the hospital as well as my son. And we got them. I didn't want to buy them phones. And this was kind of before me being into open source and all of security and privacy focus and all of that. And I think this kind of trumps you want to find whatever you can afford, the cheapest device that gets the entertainment that you need. What we did is we bought these prepaid phones. A lot of times Walmarts or other stores have them on sale for like 10, 15 bucks and we never activate them, but we just connect them to Wi-Fi at the hospital and we'd had a Netflix account or whatever they watch, Amazon, Disney Plus, whatever you want to use. And you just use the Wi-Fi, you download the app to the app store and you can play it. It's a really inexpensive way to get kids a little device that they can, you know, watch some basic movies and things like that. And then you get them the kids headphones specifically because you don't want to give young kids regular headphones or their ears. Uh, we get kids headphones and they can plug that in the phone and they can watch their own shows and things, which gives them some entertainment, which helped us uh, get through all those hospital stays.
0: And if it's any cons- if it's any help to you, the Mpow uh, CH6, is, uh, my kids have those for the headphones. The nice thing is it has a reinforced, it, like you said, it does the volume limiting, so they can't mm-hmm. blow their ears out. It also has a reinforced uh, deal where the cord comes out of the headphone, so when they tug on it and rip on it, it, it oh, doesn't that's rip great. On. It is, and then the other end of it <clears throat> is actually it's like a forty-five degree plug, so that when they go to rip out straight, it doesn't you know, rip the end of the jack off. And then it also has that you can set if you want it to like mute the volume uh, limiting, if you want to mute it to 94 decibels or 85 decibels. And so you can you can give them a little extra boost because one of the, we had cheaper kid headphones. And by the way, the MPOWs are not expensive. They're like $15. I'll throw a link to those in the show notes too. But nice. the, we had cheaper ones. And the problem that we had was it was great while they were at home. As soon as we went out into a noisy environment, all of a sudden their headphones weren't powerful enough for them to even hear the movie. And so, mm. with this one, there's a little button. I can change it and change it from the 94 decibel reduction to the 85 decibel reduction. Then they That's can hear great. it a little better. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, James, thank you for sending your email. And uh, we look forward to hearing updates on the situation. We hope everything goes well and the thoughts or prayers are with you.
0: Brendan writes in and says, hi, gang, I have a question specifically regarding Noah's response to Microsoft releasing new productivity apps for Linux. Noah seemed to be much more enthused over the announcement that Edge was coming to Linux than Teams. What's the difference? Why does he think that people in corporate corporations will u- be using Microsoft systems are empowered if they can run Edge on their Linux machines to access relevant web pages? But that the Linux community should not bow down to Microsoft for being the community To communicate via Teams. Isn't interoperability the best thing we can hope for at this time? Shouldn't we all be pragmatists if people can use Linux on their desktops if they want to, even if that means they still need a Microsoft app from time to time for work purposes? Did I just misunderstand something in Noah's original argument? I'm definitely of the mindset that we should meet people halfway if we ever expect to grow further as a community. I love the show. I hope this doesn't come off as too argumentative. I'm really just expecting a different response from Noah in the last episode. Keep up the good work. Best So first of all, uh, no, of course, it doesn't come off argumentative at all. It's a valid question. As far as what what do I think the difference between Teams and Microsoft Edge, the, the reason I'm excited about Microsoft Edge, Teams is not the predominant platform in team communication anywhere, Microsoft or anywhere else. Uh, Slack is. If you go into 99% of businesses and ask them what they're using for team communication, it's either Slack or it's some archaic thing like, oh, we just send emails to each other and have you know reply to massively long mailing lists. But the vast majority of businesses are using are using uh, are using Slack. The ones that don't want to pay for Slack or don't have the expertise to set it up, you find all sorts of hodgepodge solutions. Everything from they sign up from a shared Gmail account and use the Hangouts Messenger thing to go back and forth to like I said, weird like. Email chains, right? When it comes to Microsoft Edge, that is the next evolution of Internet Explorer. And there are countless services and countless resources that are tied to Microsoft's built-in web browser because companies know that the that the web browser built into Microsoft Windows is going to be the most popular web browser out there, whether people want it to or not. And so they're going to build for it. And so when you 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 go to almost any web-based service and you look at the requirements, and chances are it will say something like, Microsoft Internet Explorer, Chrome, uh, Google Chrome, or Microsoft, and that's soon going to be Microsoft Edge and the Chrome browser. Now consider this: because underneath the hood, Microsoft Edge is actually the Chrome browser. That means everybody everywhere is going to standardize. On the on the on the Chrome way of doing things, because it will it, you you will for sure be able to work on every Microsoft Windows system uh, in production today, because it's going to essentially ship with Chrome. They're going to call it Edge, but it's Chrome. And the most popular browser out there is Chrome. So when Microsoft says that they're going to release uh, Edge for Linux, to me that opens up a massive, massive, massive market. People that couldn't possibly care any less than Linux. And now those people are going to have the option to use Linux because their camera feed or their PMS system or their POS system or whatever it is is going to allow them to connect to it because they're using the same browser that everybody on Windows is using. So I get very excited about that. When it comes to Microsoft Teams, again, it's just not that prolific. If you're working in a Microsoft centric environment and you already have Office 365, maybe, maybe you still, maybe then you decide to go over to Teams. But the reality is a lot of those people, even if they have an Office 365 subscription, are still using Slack in the workplace. And so I I just don't think that Teams is as big of an advantage to those people on Linux, because at the end of the day, you can always—I mean, no matter what operating system you're on—you can always go to the web browser and 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 launch the the, the you web know, instance I, of things, right? I
1: know that your experience, Noah, is—you know—you work with a lot of small, medium businesses. I know you work with enterprise as well, but I think a lot of your, based on what I've heard, a lot of your customers are so. small to medium business. Yes, and so I think your your experience there probably does lend you to seeing more Slack, but I can tell you, in the corporate world, and I was just looking up some numbers here, Teams is dominant. Um, They they basically, it's their fastest growing app ever. I think it owns some of the majority of the market, um, which has taken from Google Hangouts, which was 16% down to 11%. Google Hangouts was because of Microsoft Teams share. I think Skype is the most dominant, which is their old kind of that. retired sure. platform. I, and I, even I, in the environment I work in, we have Skype and Teams, which is so annoying because we don't have all the features we need in Teams. And so we still have to have both, which means you get people messaging you on Skype. You get people messaging you on Teams. You get people right. conferencing you on Skype. You get people conferencing you on Teams. It's so obnoxious.
0: You're, you're um, not. You're you're very yeah. much correct when you say the vast majority of my experience call comes from to small to medium sized businesses. But even even large corporations like Choice Hotels, right, uh, Wyndham Hotels, all of these places they're they're not. Not only are they not specifically using Teams, the way they go about the process of determining a software package to use is nothing like well, Microsoft has Teams available, so we'll use it, right? It, it's what ties into the rest of our systems. And if you look at the amount of API extensions and things that other things can tie into, every every app out there has, oh, and here's the add-on for Slack, so it can tie into Slack. I just don't see that with, I, I, I am not seeing that kind of advertisement with Teams, where I go to install an app and they go, oh, and here's how you can tie that into your, your Microsoft Teams. And yeah, maybe well, I
1: mean, you're, you're definitely not wrong in your numbers. It looks like Slack is third, Fourth is Google Hangouts, which you mentioned specifically. So mm-hmm. third and fourth, they definitely own uh, Microsoft Teams and Skype do according to these charts again, but that doesn't mean that's reality. That's just who they surveyed and what people said and is that Microsoft and Skype seem to own most of the market share. But, you know, it's a 15 to 21 percent difference. So that's Skype, it's not, I've
0: seen enough Skype. I've seen enough that I yeah. can agree with that. I just I, I out of out of all the clients we've worked for either in North Dakota or the country at large or large multinational corporations, I've seen one instance of Microsoft Teams, one. Uh, Skype is every other one. I think it's
1: neat that we have Teams on Linux. Um, it, it does allow certain people like myself who work from home to use Linux in order to communicate. Then again, uh, I don't do that, by the way. It would allow me to, but I don't. And the reason is, is because I would probably have to do, I, I just haven't set aside the time to do the research to to see all of what Microsoft is including in that package. And what I specifically mean is, last week I was playing with PowerShell, I was talking about PowerShell and how it had that script that, hey, we're gonna be grabbing a bunch of metadata, you can disable it if you want, but it was in that, I was talking about it was in that flashing install. I, I'm not excited, But I get why some people have to use it, but I'm not as excited about throwing all these Microsoft computers on my Linux machine when the whole purpose for me, what got me into Linux was privacy and security aspects of it, of now taking all these products from a company that even when they're releasing stuff on Linux, still keeps their metadata stuff and privacy and security. It doesn't excite me. Now, somebody who has at at work and their work says, hey, you can use Linux and you can use or you can use Windows. And if you use Linux, you just got to have Teams on it. And so you're kind of forced to have it in there. I get it. But I'm not sure for your average consumers, we should be telling people go run out there and install the new Microsoft browser when it comes to Linux. Go install the new Teams when it comes out for Linux. And let's put all these Microsoft products right back on our machine because then why don't we just use Windows and forget all of this stuff because then I'll have compatibility, I'll have gaming, and I'll have everything else. So why are we pushing this thing to begin with? I... I'm frustrated with the community a little bit in this aspect because I just feel like we're so bowing down to Microsoft right now, but we're going to have someone on to talk to us specifically about in a couple of weeks here uh, from Canonical that works on the Microsoft product to kind of give the other side of the story. And I'm going to listen with open ears because I am interested to see what the other side of the you, story is. How do
0: you feel about the comment that says we should meet people halfway? I I'm inclined to agree with that you know regardless of what I what you or I think of it or whether you or I would use it don't we owe it to the people that that might consider using Linux to offer positive support to say hey thanks Microsoft for doing this thing because it is helping somebody even if it's not you and me
1: yeah I think Microsoft is genius in this I mean I that's that's the hard part of it and and meeting people halfway in the community absolutely if you have to use this you know we make jokes and things on the show that aren't even relevant like Michael being a filthy dual booter, all this stuff. And um, which not
3: only relevant, not relevant, not true either. Not Just true, clarify. but it's funny.
1: Uh, we make jokes of this stuff and then people say, oh, you're going to make new people not come because, you know, you joke about that kind of stuff, which maybe, but the numbers show differently. But in any case, the point is... Well, the number's
3: so differently about the stools, apparently, but they... Yeah,
1: the stool. our stool <laughs> episodes are some of our most popular ever. Um, but anyways, I think that the point is, I'm not going to make fun of somebody or say, oh my gosh, you're not a real Linux user if you have this Microsoft thing in there, because you may have a legitimate reason why you use it. But then sure. again, I'm not Save going to, me. on a Linux show, sit here and promote it and say, hey, everybody, go check out Teams. It's the greatest thing out there when there are open source alternatives. Uh, That are just as good if not better.
0: Hey, just out of curiosity, what would you consider to be the open source alternative better version of Microsoft Teams? I guess it's not
1: truly open source, honestly, but uh, partially at least is Telegram.
0: How about how about Mattermost?
3: Uh, Mattermost, Rocket Chat, Matrix are all good solutions as and, and some is ways, so in some to ways. tough. Yes. Uh, Matrix is more of like the fun- technologically speaking in the back end, it's better. But as far as like the actual usage, it's not that ideal because there's so many like different pieces to put together. But Mattermost and Rocket Chat are like are essentially they're clone- they're not clones, but they're open source alternatives to Slack, which is kind of making it an open source alternative to um to Teams. But honestly, I think the probably this is not open source, but I think a, a solution that a lot of people don't recognize as one is Discord of all things, because it can do the Slack based thing with the different channels. It can do the voice stuff. It can do video chats. It can do all that stuff. And Discord is a good option for people who are looking for something that's like that they could use for their business and stuff, but it isn't not, necessarily it's not- meant for that.
0: And it's also not open source.
1: One of our uh, patrons, I said that Jacob, said Zulip Chat Chat is an open source competitor to Slack out there. So that's an option. But, you know, we yeah. run our whole business on Telegram. If you look at Destination Linux Network, all of our communications, everything all go through Telegram. Um, I'm not saying every use case is covered in it, but certainly it works for a small company like, like what we're doing. Yeah, Telegram is good for that. Yep.
3: I think I think Telegram should be
2: able to pin more to the top.
1: I agree with that. Only having five is kind of just.
3: Well, the the thing is, um, with Telegram, Telegram's great for certain things, like um, you know, for small groups and stuff. Uh, but I'd also say that uh, having your own chat room structure is is because it's it's kind of difficult to have different chat rooms for Telegram depending on how how active you are on Telegram because you know, like you said, the different pinned. The conversations can only be so many and then it creates this ma- uh, the only thing you, i could come up with is like is doing the archive system which is you just archive a group and it, and it put or, or grab a chat and it goes into like this one section you just click archive and it shows everything here but it also doesn't give you notifications so it's a you know it's not the best idea uh, but alternatively like you could have telegram and something else like telegram and Mattermost and that kind of thing or I mean, the a forum system if you wanted to as well Even if it wasn't open source,
1: it just wasn't Microsoft. And I know that sounds um, negative towards Microsoft, but I ask people who are on the other side of we need to meet people halfway to do their research on Prism, P-R-I-S-M, in the NSA and look at Microsoft's involvement in that and then tell me we should be meeting this company halfway and installing all their apps in their operating system. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying do that research and maybe you'll have a different opinion of how far we should meet that in that halfway point.
0: Here's where I think the the line should be. I think the line should be we should do everything possible to make teams and any other software, I might add, available on Linux. That's that's where I believe the healthy, safe line is. I think every, every software, good or bad, spyware or no spyware, embedded with NSA stuff or not, Everything should be available, and the user should get to decide what they want to put on their machine. That's and if fair. They choo- yes. And if they choose not to do the research and find out how bad what they're installing is, that's on them. But I, 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 I would, I would you know, love that's to a, live that's a, a where fair everything line. can be installed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that.
3: I think it's actually interesting because we had a, a, a just discussion on the DLN forum about uh, you know our attitude towards Microsoft, and it was it was interesting because like I was we were talking about how we are open to like the same thing that Noah just said is that we're open to the Microsoft software being brought to Linux, and that there is benefit to doing that, but that there's also we, we're we're just going to be upfront about the negativity of you know, the company itself. We're not going to pretend that them bringing Teams or Edge to Linux somehow makes it okay for them to do all the telemetry garbage they do or the horrible stuff they do with the Windows 10 telemetry where you can't even turn it off and all that other stuff. It's like the company has still got an issue, so we're going to acknowledge that as as that is a thing. So the same thing about the Prism thing. If you want to use the Microsoft Tools feel free. And I think it's great that they're bringing them to Linux. It makes people to be able to switch to Linux. And if they do that more so with like the Microsoft Office suite, that would be fantastic. I mean, I still wouldn't use it, but it'd be awesome if they brought it because it makes it possible for people who want to switch to Linux, but need those tools could do so.
2: Yeah. yeah, Far more important to be genuine than just to be nice.
1: True.
3: Maurice writes in to say, Hi guys, love the podcast. I just wanted to thank you for bringing up an issue I've had in the last year with Ubuntu on the desktop. I thought I was the only one having trouble with it. I have an Intel-based laptop that is two years old. Nothing fancy. Integrated graphics, off-the-shelf components. It generally runs Linux, and it runs every Linux. I can throw at it like a champ. I also once considered Ubuntu my safe space to return to when I do distro hops until this year. I've suddenly begun having head-scratching problems ever since 1904 and now 1910. It's shaken my confidence to the point where now my safe harbor has become Fedora, a distro I used back in the days for the Fedora core when it was much less stable. So it's weird to me. I really hope, as you, as you say, that Martin Rippers will steer them back toward desktop centrism. Uh, and he says, that, Michael, stand by your stool. I've been ribbed for using my workout ball as a chair at the office, and it costs just about as much. So he says, uh, thanks, Maurice. And it actually kind of gives me one, I want to try to get, you know, and uh, are you going to get a workout ball? I'm thinking about Michael? it. I'm thinking Please. about it.
1: Please. Please. We will Do it. We, we will fund this, you know. <laughs> we will fund this. Yeah. yeah. I would <laughs> love to see you record the show on half half the show on your stool, half the show on the workout ball. Or
2: The hardest part would be not bouncing as you're recording the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, this is interesting. I, I will say that um I'm very excited about the fact that a lot of tweets this week from Popey... And Martin and the desktop team of Ubuntu talking about the work that they're they're doing in the next version and trying to, um, you know, really get the focus back into the desktop. So I think, you know, we've got to give Martin some runway here because things aren't going to change overnight. But I think there's a, some focus coming back, which is what we we're kind of hoping for. And I'm excited to see what they come up with in the later versions. But I, too, have been playing with Fedora. And it begs a question that's bothered me for a long time, Noah. Why are you such a Red Hat fan, but you don't run Fedora on everything?
0: Because the rest of the world doesn't run Fedora on everything. Something I struggled with the first like six years I ran Altaspeed. I started with, hey, I run Fedora on my laptop. I know exactly how to make that work, right? So that's what I'm going to put on all the client machines. Well, here's the problem. Fedora has a six-month release cycle, which means seven years later when I go back, and I I kid you not, this happened. I came back to a client years later and found a FTP server running Fedora Core like 3 that nobody had updated, nobody had touched, nobody even remembered it was there. Now, to Fedora's uh, reliability credit, the thing was still running. God knows how many people had access to it by then, but (laughs) it was still running. And so at that point, I realized, you know, and I asked him, I said, well, will we Google to do this or whatever? And, of course, they're coming up with instructions for what? Ubuntu, right? And and so various different things weren't working. And and eventually I just said to myself, the most popular distribution out there is Ubuntu proper. So regardless of what I think of Gnome, regardless of what I think of Canonical's recent efforts, I, I want to be clear, pre-Martin Wimper's stepping into this position, uh, on, on, on the desktop and, and improvements on the desktop, regardless of what I think of all of those things, the responsible thing to do for most people is to put them on an Ubuntu base because... Most directions out there, and most community support is going to be written for Ubuntu. Well, that there light a problem because if I was going to do that for everybody else, I had to know how to get all the stuff that we were going to support to work on there. And I started running Ubuntu on my laptop, and that ran for about two or three years until I realized I just couldn't stand GNOME, and I just was sick of losing work because it was crashing all the time because everything was going through a single process. And I switched to KDE, and now I wouldn't. You could you you'll pry KDE out of my cold dead fingers. But that's how I wound up. Using Fedora but on my primary workstation the thing that I sit in front of and do the show every week the thing that I get all My work done that has been has been Fedora and it will continue to be Fedora It has been Fedora since literally Fedora Core one before that it was Red Hat and it will be for Fedora Until Fedora stops making a product and by the way if Red Hat ever makes uh, like an LTS version I would switch tomorrow
1: Really? Yes, you're on the opposite side of me whereas I I love the rolling and would like them to even be more rolling but you obviously want it to work you want you you want the stability out of it and so um, i guess people would say centos would be your yes Option there, yeah, yeah, and, and that's, fact, that's funny, maybe too old, right?
0: <laughs> so funny you mentioned that. I tried running CentOS. And actually, I, I actually bought a three hundred dollars subscription to Red Hat. I said, I'm just going to run Red Hat on my desk on my laptop. Why not? And then I couldn't get VLC installed. And I went to the forums. And I said, Hey, does anybody know how to do this? And every response I got was Fedora says Red Hat is a server distribution. You shouldn't be running, you know, VLC and trying to play pvds on there that's not what it's for you should be using a different desktop distribution but i got all that and i went okay all right that was michael that's how you (laughs) met michael right that was yeah that's him and i got connected
3: um actually (laughs) uh, so i I think that it's actually got an interesting point because the centos is also considered the same thing where it's a server distro and that's why people don't use it that much either Uh, so
0: yeah it's it's binary they're compatible my point is that the Red Hat, thems- Red Hat internally, they do all sorts of cool things and they don't care. Like they'll be happy to help you out. But when you go into the general public and just say, how do I get this thing to work on Red Hat? People go, we well, should be using Red Hat. So if that's going to be the snarky attitude I get, then I'll just I'll go to something else for my desktop. And secretly, I'll always I'll always secretly innerly want to go to Red Hat and run it on everything.
1: Well, when you're ready to deal with the snarky attitude, we'd like to welcome you to the Arch Club.
0: Yeah, I was there for about a year. I was there for about a year. I, you know what? You'll be proud of me, Ryan. The computer that I installed Arch with that I swore wouldn't last 30 days, I kid you not, seven years later, is still running the exact same Arch installation that I had seven years ago when I installed it. computer. Yeah. what I'm talking nice. about. Yep. All
1: right.
3: only boot it up once every three months, but Shut up, years. Michael.
0: I don't boot it at all anymore because I'm afraid to update it because I'm not sure what will happen.
1: <laughs> Michael, don't ruin my good news story. You know, I'm, I'm here sipping my bubbly, my $550 can of bubbly, and enjoying this episode, and you're stomping in my bubbly. I'm sorry.
2: We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can t- send us a short email or video that may be incorporated into the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at DestinationLinux.org.
1: We want to thank our community for their incredible and continued support of freegeek.org. We've raised well over $1,500 thanks to you. And we know many have pledged to sending in their used hardware and computers to Free Geek, which is amazing. We're seeing lots of activity and discourse and Telegram, individuals asking what address to send it to, where can they go. So destinationlinux.network/freegeek. That's all you got to type in and you'll have all the information there about our partnership to make a donation, uh, either sending in hardware or financial donation there. And as a reminder, we're really excited. We're going to do another DLN game night where we have all the Destination Linux hosts, maybe even get Noah to play golf with friends because we know he's not very good at any other game. But maybe golf with friends (laughs) and uh, we're all going to get together and and we're going to do it for charity this time. So we're going to do the free geek charity and it's a great opportunity to hang out with DLN hosts and support a great cause wendy are we gonna be able to get you on this chair do you game do you game wendy we need to know
2: i do play golf with friends i'm nice, in nice.
1: Yes.
0: awesome uh, great now i can know sculper 1v1 it, <laughs> is that working <laughs> golf with friends
1: not really sure but why
3: not? You, can
0: somebody teach me tra- gamer trash talk for golf with friends does that exist <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll look up some golf terms to hook okay, you thanks. up So we want to thank everyone who's helped us spread the message as well on social media and supported this cause with us. Free Geek is amazing, and we hope you'll go check it out.
2: Huawei was in the news a lot last year, and let's face it, most of it was not good. Accusations of working with the Chinese government, having issues with the U.S. government and being embargoed. So they're back in the news for 2020, and it might be better for them. Yeah. They're coming out with a Linux distribution called Open Euler. It's available right now. It's based on CentOS. And if you want to look at all the code, it's available on Getty. Yeah, that's Getty the Chinese
1: it. equivalent, apparently, to GitHub is Getty. Does anybody know of that one? Anybody? Never know? heard of that
3: one until today. Yeah,
2: I've
0: never that, heard of it's it. It's new yet. to me. Have not heard, am not Chinese.
3: Good to yeah. know. Thanks for that update.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so on their Getty, There are two repositories, one for the source code and one for the software packages that build the OS. It's an arm 64 base that's meant for servers. So it's not something you're going to be running on your desktop right now, but it's getting a ton of support. It's got 600 commits, 50 different contributors. They're making waves. We'll see what it does.
1: So I thought this was really interesting because we talked about Huawei. They're a company that has the deep pockets to do incredible things. This is a billion dollar corporation many times over, and they have massive amount of resources and ability to compete in the market. Now, what is their draw to getting into open source so heavily? Well, they were embargoed, right? They lost a lot of their business. They were kicked off of Android for a while. I believe some of their laptops were kicked off the Microsoft store and they had really no other choice but to, they have this Hardware they're creating to compete against the Samsungs of the world and and the Motorola's of the world and the Dells of the world. But they had no OS they could install during that period of time. Although I believe, I'm not certain that some of those embargoes have been lifted at this point. They are still scared of what's going to happen if this stuff comes back. And therefore, they are focusing on building out open source code. Right now, ARM64 on servers, very interesting market to target. They're utilizing CentOS as their base, but they've got a impressive list of contributors here that you don't see in, well, let's face it, a lot of distros have been out there for a while, probably would love to have 50 contributors uh, helping with their code. So what yeah. do you think, Noah?
0: I don't really have a lot for this. I'm sorry.
1: You just don't care.
0: I Well, it's not that I don't care. I just I don't know enough about it to to, to really offer any real of input Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's- there, there, there's there's so many there's so there's so many unknowns here, right? Like, I Huawei has a Huawei has a has a has a has a, a, a track history that's questionable at best. Their continuation in the United States is, is questionable at best. S- the continuation of CentOS, given the Red Hat Stream thing, is it, there. There's so much here. I, I I I'm sorry, I just don't have much to add.
3: Well, I mean, the CentOS Stream is the thing. They're they're still doing CentOS, but the for uh- now. Right for now, but the 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 thing is, it's in, it's interesting because they're they're using something that's like when with Harmony OS they announced that we didn't know what it was based on or if it was a completely whole new thing, but they're actually using a Linux based system to do this. So it's interesting that they're taking that approach, and maybe they'll be doing that approach for other uh, products as well, and seeing what could happen there. Because if Maybe they could take code that they're creating for this open Euler and send it back to CentOS or something. And you know, I mean, there could be some benefit to it. It is definitely up in the air. Uh, and also the whole it makes sense why Huawei would make this decision because of all the different embargo stuff that they had to deal with and because with open source, they don't have to worry about the embargo stuff because none of that is, you know, relevant because the license for the open source is automatically granting access regardless of what they're doing. So By doing this, it makes a lot of sense that they're doing it. So,
2: I wonder how much of this will go back to their hardware devices because their biggest selling thing is their phones and other hardware things that they ship. So what does this distro mean for their other devices down the road? Is it something that they might incorporate with them? Is it a way that they're sending services to these devices?
1: It will be interesting to see yeah. how it all converges because I know they're working on an operating system to replace Android. I know that they were working on some operating system stuff for the desktop. This is their server implementation, but focused on ARM, which is really interesting here. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with it. I don't think any of us know, but you know, it is another massive company involved heavily in open source. And while... They have some questionable past, as Noah said, their contributions are open source. Their code is open source. So some of that, I would imagine, even if nobody used it here in the United States, still contributes back to other services and packages and things that it links to that they're using and then contributing code to that upstream that they are getting incorporated. So I think it helps the overall ecosystem out.
3: Yeah, cuz even if they're doing, you know, even if they're using this stuff, like they because they're theoretically releasing their software as open source themselves, then the people the code people even if they're not submitting it to CentOS, the CentOS people could cuz they'll look at it and check it out to see if there's anything they want to take. So I yep. think that's that least, at least there is some silver lining in it, you know. There you go. Yeah. Up next to the show is some great news related to our favorite web browser firefox and that they have released version 72. one of the most exciting new features of this release is the fingerprinting blocked by default so for those who don't know what fingerprinting is, uh, browser fingerprinting is a powerful method that websites use to collect information about your browser type, your and version, as well as your operating system, metadata, stuff like active plugins, time zone, language, screen resolution, and various other active settings. And this allows you to, by, by default, they have this turned off thanks to the enhanced tracking protection system that they have. That the the previous iterations only blocked fingerprinting if it was set into strict ETP settings though and this version has now switched that on to like to just a regular that's default awesome. yeah it's it's awesome that they're doing that because they're putting so much much you know focus on the security and privacy stuff that's one of the reasons we are big fans of Firefox is because of this in addition to the fingerprint blocking Firefox 72 has removed the automatic notification request for pop-ups
1: thank you goodness yes oh my yes. gosh
0: this was so annoying
1: <laughs>
3: yes
0: every website do you want to be notified of it no yeah. not only that not only that you start to get mad at firefox rather than the website right, yes. right. because you're yeah, like you're like, like firefox. you present that and, if, and here's the thing if god help you if you made the mistake of clicking allow allow push oh notification whatever gosh. i made that mistake on like a news site or whatever that i i use for uh for show prep and for the next like week and a half like I'd be I'd be browsing and all of a sudden this little thing come right across the bottom of my screen. Bloop, this headline. I'm like, what the what in <laughs> <laughs> I reinstalled the OS. I did. I reinstalled the OS. I'm like, whatever, whatever is on my computer needs to go away now. because that. And then I figured out, I'm like, oh, that's when I click that allow. Uh, yeah, allow this isn't fixing a oh. razor
1: cut. This is fixing a shot in the head from a snipey a, rifle. A, a bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> no
3: one's going to get that reference unless they're patrons. I'm going to leave it in. So if you want to become a patron and know what we're talking about, be sure to do that and check out the late, the unedited version of this episode. Anyway... Okay. So th- this, this annoying feature for where, you know, it's like, you know, they ask you for, to enable the They'll desktop a feature. The, okay. The annoying, the annoyance system structure of the enable notifications for like these desktop notifications. Like the fact that that's even a thing, they should just have like a little icon that pops up and that's it, but it would constantly pop up in your face. And you also, you couldn't, like, just dismiss it with like you'd have to actually go and click the mouse on with it, and it would go that way, it goes away. It's just anyway, it's awful, and it's finally no longer an issue. Which, thank you, Firefox. Which, yes, thank you very much because you're pretty much the only one, only browser I know of that does that now. Uh, so, uh, finally, picture-in-picture video is now supported on the Mac and Linux version. It was already available on a previous release on the 71, but you had to tweak the different config files and everything to get it to work. But now it's by default it's available for Mac and Linux users. So this is great news for Noah, who apparently uses Macs daily, uh, or so the so the note says. They're all secondhand
1: <laughs> from. Rome. Well, how did that note get in there? Oh my bad.
3: <laughs> so anyway. But it's it's not all good news for Firefox. Uh, Firefox 72 was hit with a zero day exploit, which was actively being exploited, and it wasn't necessarily just 72. It actually gone has it goes the problem goes back to at least 68. We don't know if it, how how many how far it goes back, but 68 ESR version was updated also to fix this problem. And so anyway, this says that the exploit could be used to take control of an affected system. Uh, so if if you have fire if you're using Firefox and you you haven't updated, you definitely need to do so for this fix. And you can do so by going to go getting going to the website and, or going to your repos and just getting the latest version because almost all the distros have this now. You just need to have 72.0.1 if you're using Ubuntu Fedora. Aura, Arch, uh, OpenSUSE, all those distros have, this, have the updated version for, with the patch, so you, you can just you know directly update it, update your system but and get But you the need stuff. to patch immediately. Yes.
1: This is not one of those zero-day exploits where you have to have physical access to the machine to exploit. It is something that is a very serious flaw, um, and they have fixed it, so make sure you are on that point release. You just click on the hamburger menu on the right of Firefox, And then you're going to go to help and about Firefox. And there it should tell you what version you're on. If you see 72, you need to update. If you see 72.0.1,
0: you are safe. While ZFS is finally starting to make its way into popular distributions like Ubuntu, Linus himself says he's not interested in seeing it in the kernel. His quote, don't use ZFS. It's that simple. It was always more of a buzzword than anything else, I feel. And the licensing issue just make it a non-starter for me. All of this seems to stem from ZFS being the CDDL and Linux kernel being GPL, and many still believe that they're not compatible with each other. One of the fears is if that Linux used this license, that it would become a derivative work of the original ZFS. Linus further explained that due to Oracle's litigious nature, he would never feel safe including ZFS in the kernel. This would be up for debate to some believe that the module interface in its implemented form makes it okay. But Linus responded to this as well, stating, I'm not interested in some ZFS shim layer thing, either that some people seem to think would isolate the two projects, this adds no value to our side, and given that Oracle's interface copyright suits see Java, I don't think there's any real licensing win either. Linus did say that if Oracle would like to have their legal counsel send him a letter directly saying that all was well, he would reconsider leaving it out at the kernel. With that said, Linus himself isn't that fond of ZFS, saying... Benchmarks, no real maintenance, make it questionable for long-term stability standpoint. Canonical is moving forward, as well as other distros that will use ZFS, as it will be interesting to see how all of this ends up going. Will Ubuntu be a derivative of ZFS? So I-, I said at the onset of this episode, Michael disagreed with me, that this is one of the first times I disagree with Linus Torvalds. I agree that there is a licensing problem. I agree that we should look into the licensing problem. I agree that we should fight the licensing problem. I even agree that maybe we should we should hold off on including it into the kernel until we can resolve the licensing problem i couldn't possibly disagree more with the idea that zfs does not is not a valuable file system does not add value to or would not be a massive value valuable contribution to linux when you look at what we are able to do and what the industry has been able to do with ZFS on Freenas and on BSD, and then you look at our closest competitor, which is ButterFS, I don't need to say anymore. There, if you look at any large scale business that is, that, that is looking to, to store massive amounts of data, they're going with Ceph clusters, they're going with ZFS, they're going with ButterFS, there are there's a limited amount of players in that realm and ZFS is definitely undisputedly one of them and most people to include myself would tell you it's the best file system out there for large data sets and I'm willing to have that debate and I'm willing to discuss that with anybody but when you know when I when I read things like
1: I was so waiting for you to do the ask Noah colon ask Noah show at in your number It right, just no, was rolling not, right there but no,
0: yes. I'm not going to do that, but, but no, it, it, where, where is that? He isn't as fond of ZFS saying benchmarks, no real maintenance make it questionable for a long-term stability standpoint. I just, when I have people on from IX systems that talk about the, the latest, uh, the latest implementation of, 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 of FreeNAS and and what ZFS is able to do when I sit down with Alan Jude and watch him in 10 seconds migrate, uh, you know, an entire file system from one machine over to another using ZFS and go, oh, look at this new feature that we can now do this thing on, rather there's this before thing and, 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 and restoring a system by pulling a drive out and sticking a new one in and clicking on a button. When I see things like that with my own two eyes, it's really difficult for me to, to own the idea that it's that there's no long term stability in zfs so
1: what if i was to tell you though if we look at it from linus standpoint if mm-hmm. what he's what he's saying in his understanding and by the way there are people who argue this argument of and you know how legal things go. They can argue both sides and say, no, no, no. In this sure. paragraph, it actually makes it so yes. that you wouldn't become a derivative. And then Absolutely. somebody goes and this lawyer says, no. So
0: in section a, 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 subsection paragraph. C, right. there's a yeah, yeah, licensing. Exactly. I agree. Licensing, I agree, is 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 a valid thing that we should we should address. Now, I don't if, take issue if with
1: the if, if your business, if I was doing business yep. with you, we were going to sign a contract. And in that contract, there was some confusion on whether you would become a derivative of my company by simply us, you know, I'm selling you some equipment. There's no way I could convince you, no matter how exciting the the partnership would be, Completely, you would sign up for that. And I think that's what Linus ultimately here is saying. And that part... I would make the argument as good as ZFS is, and this is out of my realm, so I make this argument only from a novice standpoint. Keep that in mind. But if we were to put the resources into ButterFS... Which i know has had its issues in the past but has a lot of the same capabilities as ZFS, and we don't have the licensing problems is that where we should be just asking focusing our attention versus trying to get oracle to
0: if there was a way to fix butterfs i would agree and again like you my understanding of file systems i'm not a file systems expert by any stretch of the imagination but people much smarter than me have told me that the way that ButterFS is, cur- the, the current limitations of ButterFS and the 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 things that make it inferior to ZFS are so difficult, if not impossible, to change that it would essentially require completely rewriting ButterFS, which is why it hasn't been done. Um, if we get a more friendly, licensed version of ZFS, would I 100% be on board with jumping ship? Yes, absolutely. Unquestionably. I just don't think we're there now. I think that BSD has something that we on the Linux end don't have. I think we owe it to the people who want to use this stuff in enterprise and want the the, the latest and greatest and best features a file system has to offer. We, we owe it to look at everything pragmatically and say, what is the best file system out there? And I think if you, if you abstract the licensing problems and you look at just what is the best file system out there, everybody that uses ZFS will tell you it's ZFS. And anybody that doesn't say ZFS is not using ZFS, uh, uh, unless they have some sort of, you know, allegiance to 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 a competitor file system but or they don't need the vast, a
3: like gigantic data set you know sure
0: fine that's fine and so in in that circumstance that's perfectly acceptable i completely agree with that michael if you are just if i'm just running on my laptop or i just have a couple of file, fine by all means use x 4 no problem xfs great file system if you just want you know a, a, a file system xf, xf xf xfs on top of or combined with lvm even better, now I can swap drives in and out. I'm not saying there aren't other solutions, in fact, I recommend them to people all the time. But if given the choice between uh, you know LVM and X4 or just ZFS, which does everything right in the file system, what would I choose? I'd take ZFS every single time. No ifs, ands, or buts about because it. Because you
1: have spent so much time with it, and it's built your confidence up. And I, I get that. Hey, yeah. when you run a business on stuff, you don't. You're not going to be like, oh, this new thing just popped up out of the blue, and I'm just going to go try it and switch everything to it and risk all my customers' data right. for it. Because yeah. well, that's how you get when, out of business. When, real when quick. When
0: Amazon's S3 migrates over to ButterFS, or you know, whatever. When we, when we, st- when you start seeing examples like that, where massive, massive companies run their companies on, on, uh, no, sorry, on ButterFS, on, on whatever it is. Then I'd be more than happy to consider and saying, OK, all right, well, maybe so we don't Nate
1: from DLN Extend, who we know has an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, yes. uh, says he's going to be joining the Ask Noah show to debate you on this. So I'm excited okay, sure. to hear him call in and do sure. that. Debate. Let me let
0: me uh, here. Let me let me do this. Let me see when I can schedule Ellen Jude to be a co-guest and um, <laughs> and then we'll we'll have a friendly little debate. I love it. That sounds <laughs> awesome. like fun. Yes.
3: So it's uh, interesting because I when I, when you said earlier that we disagreed, I actually was disagreeing with the like I thought you were talking about his reasoning. But if in terms of like ZFS versus other things, I think ZFS is still a very good file system. But I the completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree with, with with Linus that he's doing it. well His decision to not include it is like based on the licensing thing sure. is completely valid, and I would agree completely. with it enti- entirely. And especially yes, I, considering I, it's it's Oracle. If it was still Sun, well, then it would be. I would argue that maybe they should but
0: to your point and here's something else to consider it's not like you can't use zfs if it's not integrated into the kernel right right okay so i don't care the actual process in which we go to make zfs available to linux users i just care that at some point i want to be able to install centos my chosen server distribution and i would really like the option to when i install for the default option for the file system to be ZFS how it gets there, how that little radio button gets there I don't care how it's implemented in the background I don't care I'll leave that to people far smarter than me I just when I install centos I would love to be able just 2 weeks ago I was setting up a virtualization host for a client and we set up we had to use uh, we had to use LVM and we had to use XFS because we had to spread this data set over multiple drives and I remember thinking to myself man now would be a really great time for me to go through and and set this whole ZFS thing up and I and I I I ZFS on Ubuntu is like five seconds to set it up. ZFS on Red Hat or CentOS is like a 10 minute, 20 minute process. And I started thinking to myself, how great would it be if in the installer, there was just a button I could click on and we'd have ZFS, I'd feel way more comfortable with this deployment. That's what I want. I don't care how we get there.
1: Nice. So there was some exciting news that happened this week at CES. And if you want full coverage of everything that was released or the most hottest things that were released at CES, then you need to check out a new podcast that we are dropping on the DLN network called Hardware Addicts. And Wendy is a part of that. Michael is a part of that show as well as myself where we dig into all of the aspects of one of my favorite things in the world, hardware. So it's going to cover all the latest tech trends, provide you with tips and tricks, and hopefully enable you to start your own addiction like I have into hardware there. So check out and be on the lookout for hardware addicts. But there's one thing in here that I really wanted to make sure was covered on this show, and that is the new Dell Linux laptops that dropped. So we got lots of eye candy there, but what caught my attention is 2020 Linux users now have a brand new XPS 13 to get their hands on. Some of the standout features here include fingerprint re- reader that actually works in Linux. So if you have used laptops in Linux before, there is a chance that you can get fingerprint work- uh, units to work and there's an even greater chance that the one fingerprint unit that they put in your laptop will not work in Linux at all. Or there's a chance that you have to be in Windows first as, I, as one of the laptops I have was requested that you have to be in Windows first, enable the fingerprint reader through Windows then you can wipe Windows, then you can get Fingerprint to work in Linux. With all of that, it's nice to just have a laptop that you can buy and open up and know it's just going to work out of the box, which is what Dell's providing you here. It comes with Ubuntu 18.04.03 LTS preloaded, 32 gigabytes of RAM, up to two terabytes of hard drive storage, which if you're smart, you use ButterFS on, six different Intel CPU configurations, you get two Thunderbolt USB-C ports, SD, 3.5 millimeter freedom jack, as Noah calls it, or headphone jack. Type-C connector, USB-A adapters included as well. You can get up to 4K screen. Starting price is not as high as I thought it would be, only at $1,199. I mean, that's a lot of money, but these developer laptops generally really high sticker prices on them. So if you're looking for a laptop with Linux out of the box, you might want to check out Dell's Banding line of developer laptops for Linux.
0: It's called a courage jack.
1: Courage jack. I thought it was the freedom jack. Courage jack. I got it. Courage jack.
3: Well, I mean the courage jack gives you freedom to use your headsets, your headphones and stuff. So I guess there's that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Gives you freedom.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but it's actually, it looks like a really nice laptop, and, you know, they, they have a track record of making, like, really beautiful laptops, and now that they have finally made the webcam not in a weird position, it's great that they're, you know, they're improving it to the point where they, the, like, it's still a high price, right, but it's not the ridiculous price that we expect, because I think the first versions were, like, 1600 or something, and then, like, the other competitors that were that came out for like the developer models were some of them up to over 2000 and that kind of thing. So, this is a pretty decent price for like their setup. And I think that, like, if even if you upgrade the stuff to like the 4K and all the other stuff, it's not that ridiculous again. So, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to see this Sputnik project continued to go in Dell and continued to grow and it's not one of those things where hey let's try this Linux thing oh we didn't sell a bajillion of them so we're going to kill it instead it's Dell seems to be kind of doubling down on it and we get we're getting new units on a regular basis they keep improving the units based on the feedback I'm very happy to see this uh happening and and Dell taking these laptops very seriously
2: It's great to see that they've got some higher end laptops coming out with Linux on it, but it would also be nice to see some more mid-range, more budget friendly laptops coming out with Linux from companies like Dell.
3: Yeah, they yeah. do have a couple with the precision line, but it's not like it. There is kind of like buried in where where they are and everything. So it's hard to find those. But I think they have, they're working on fixing that stuff because one of the things that I was, I, I really like that, that Dell has been doing is that they used to have it where everything that they sold that was Linux based was, you know, buried behind this massive, you know, checkout system and everything. And now they have com slash Linux. So it's it a lot It's literally
0: easier to Google. XPS Developer Edition with Linux than it was to try to search the yep. the the site, and if you wanted updates on the Sputnik thing, you went to you went to Barton George's personal blog, and that's, that's how I got the, to it. Yeah, that's yeah. how you get the updates. Yeah.
3: So I mean, now that the fact that they're Dell's actually working on like you know it's making different iterations and actually you know doing like Ryan you were saying that have that whether they're actually you know keeping the the Linux pipe based stuff still going and improving,
1: but the fact that they're also putting marketing back into it now is like. Well, think about this. I mean, CES is the go-to tech conference of the year. It's the one of the biggest, if not the biggest tech conference where companies like oh, AMD, yeah. Intel, Samsung, everyone come Super to show stuff, off yeah. their products. And this is the first time I, in my years in Linux that Dell took that opportunity to announce a Linux-based laptop. That is so, such great advertising for Linux. That's true. Number one. Um, but it's just incredible support from Dell to the Linux community to take that big conference and drop it there. So to me, big shout out to Dell. Yeah, absolutely. That. Fantastic.
2: So we've talked a lot about AMD and N- NVIDIA. And one of the biggest complaints for NVIDIA is the fact that they're not helping with the open source drivers. And it's hard to get some things working if you've got an NVIDIA card. Well, at the GPO Technology Conference, not only did they have a Liz- Linux presentation, there is also a beta Vulkan driver. Even yep. better, they are starting to, they've got a new driver out. Okay, this is a long name, so hang on while we try and get through this. <laughs> 440.43.02 includes fixes for things like DXVK and it does prior fixes things like endless looping, shading issues. So they're they're getting there. We're we're getting some finally. Linux love from Nvidia. This also has a kernel fix for 5.5. I
1: mean, we're finally making progress in this front. And it's been the biggest, you know, area of contention with NVIDIA for me is they're not helping with the open source drivers. They the open source team is trying to write drivers for them and they're not participating in it. And yet everybody seems to love promoting NVIDIA and open source because we're all bipolar. We love open source, but then we really just want to promote the proprietary stuff. It's kind of a weird thing in the Linux community. But anyways, <laughs> it's really good to see NVIDIA actually Taking uh, the, And I have no doubt in my mind that this comes from the intense competition that has come from AMD now having some of the hottest selling yeah. GPUs outselling NVIDIA. They've dominated in completely and entirely in the CPU market, forcing Intel to make new plays. This is why we say competition is a good thing. But in this case, I have no doubt we have not seen this. Had AMD not come out and started crushing in the market, it would never have happened. I'm so happy it's happening, though. And I'm thankful NVIDIA is seeing the light. And this is why we need competition, because it makes companies move in areas where before they would just be so kind of stuck up and in the air that like whatever we do, everyone else will follow. And now they're forced to kind of play ball. Yeah, I think it's I think this is great. Might
2: be helping with that a little bit, too because of all of their support for Linux that it might be making it a touch easier for NVIDIA to step in and help because there's some groundwork done there with Steam compatibility and that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's
3: interesting. Think,
2: hey
0: hey Ryan, let me ask you something. You have to excuse my ignorance, but if I'm if I'm one it's like that thing in class, one person in the class is asking the question. Maybe there's somebody else out there that has the same question. The reason that Ryzen works so well, and I have to admit to you, ever since switching this computer over to Ryzen, I've not had less problems, I've gone from some problems to no problems. Yeah. Why is, I assume that's because the the drivers are actually integrated into the kernel, they're provided as part of Linux, right?
1: Yep, I mean, it's, how, the, whole, it's the whole advantage of, that we talk about with open source, that not only do you have a company that goes out there and says, hey, here is how the architecture of our drivers work, we're going to give you the code. We're going to put it out there in the community. So now the people who are implementing those drivers into the kernel understand how it works. People who are writing programs for acceleration and things have the code right there to know how it works so they can improve their programs and how things operate. It is open source. This is what we talk about, the advantage when we say we want open source, which would what bugs me so much about the community right. and their obsession in Linux with NVIDIA. And I'm not going to get on this box again. I swore I wouldn't with these companies that the are just pushing NVIDIA you know, constantly down everybody's throat and making it easier to install NVIDIA and everything yeah. else. Meanwhile, NVIDIA the whole time was doing nothing to make Preach it easier it. on anybody yeah. else. And this is the kind of stuff that frustrates me. Meanwhile, AMD sitting out there like, hey, our stuff's open source. Intel's sitting out there. Hey, our stuff's open source. Yeah, we're not gonna make it easier for your stuff. If, if it happens to get in, if you release your driver in time for us to do a release, then we may go back. And, and try to throw it in, but if you miss our release date, eh, you're out of luck. You just won't be able to use that video card in our system for six months. That's your problem. This is the attitude that just drives me nuts because we don't we don't really care about open source sometimes. I think some of the companies that represent us don't really care about open
0: source. Okay, so let me ask you this, Ryan. What if if NVIDIA's NVIDIA's motivation is pretty simple. They just want people to buy their graphics cards, right? Yep. And they and same with yep. Ryzen. So yep. where is the competitive advantage lost? You can't use the drivers useless unless you actually have the card to, to plug it in anyway. Where is the advantage in keeping that that secret sauce code secret?
1: I mean, I think the advantage is that they do a lot of things NVIDIA with their drivers in order to boost performance that they don't want AMD to unlock that magic, right? Whether it's it's some way that they're dealing with shaders or some other mm-hmm. technique that they're using. Ray tracing uh, activity in the way they've coded that it basically gives an unfair advantage in their mind to say hey We want to keep this proprietary because we've spent the time on research and development Writing this in, in this new way of, of having our GPU handle shaders in a more effective manner right. And we don't want to give that to AMD.
0: Yeah, because they they can do the same thing in a different way and it's all open the, out in the open So it'd be it, it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, so I get why NVIDIA you know, from a business decision said, hey, we're not going to do this. All businesses do that. I would have to basically go down the line and beat up every business that's ever held anything proprietary. What I don't get is that, that the open source
0: community is so behind the company doing that. Most people don't know right i think is really the answer i consider myself to be fairly well informed when it comes to 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 linux and what works well in linux and for years here was the wisdom the wisdom was for years use nvidia don't use amd if you want the best support for which linux. was absolutely well it was true for a while it was true for a while and, yeah. and but and, and it's and that changed obviously at some point but what i guess my point is I don't I I don't remember the Linux community making a particularly big fuss to say, hey, this thing has changed. And it was people like you promoting it on your Dusky YouTube channel that basically said, Hey, I'm trying it and here's what I'm finding. And I looked into it and here's why that is that's what eventually got me to look up and go, okay, well, maybe I should give this a shot. And then once you do, it's like, I will never go back. I just bought a new machine for some a very, very important machine that has to do some really important stuff. <laughs> and I refused to buy an Intel. I bought a Ryzen box because I wanted everything to work out of the box. And with one exception, it did. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that mentality is changing, but but yeah, yeah I, I and, think it's and let me be a, really kind of confusion.
1: Let me be fair here, because I think using the word I use this word was wrong in the community. I mean, you know, the I've only been in Linux for four years and only been talking about Linux for four years. A lot of people have been in Linux for 15, 20 years plus. They This is their life and everything has to be, you know, they speak and bleed for open source and talk about the security advantages and everything else that it gives. And yet they are the, the companies out there, the big companies that represent Linux, not focusing on open source, but focusing on the proprietary vendors is what bugs me. Actually the community's been very supportive of a lot of the things that I've said. Not everybody in the community, but a lot of the community's been very supportive of it. Um, but I have taken a lot of flack for this. I have uh, the reason why I said I don't want to get on the, the soapbox again is cuz I'm sick of hearing the comments back of supporting <laughs> Nvidia cuz there's not a valid argument yet that I've heard, but every time I get on the soapbox, I get the 50 emails of oh no, Nvidia is the greatest GPU, that's not the point. It's they're not supporting open source, therefore they shouldn't be the first thing we target. Now, do we want to kick NVIDIA out and not support it all? Heck no, NVIDIA still has a huge market. We want to support them. We have to, but that they shouldn't be our priority until yeah. they do what right. they're well. doing now. What they're doing now, sure, we can make them a priority, right? They want to jump into open source, they want to help with their drivers, their open source drivers. Now's when we should start showing them affection because we have to stop treating Linux like this little niche thing that doesn't matter. So we're begging for everybody's attention because we've dominated markets. We own markets. Microsoft isn't interested in Linux because they're nice people that just really like the idea of Linux. They're interested (laughs) in it because it makes money and it's dominating a market. Stop treating Linux like it's a worthless nothing that we have to beg and and plead for people to come write stuff for us. We tell them what the playing field is and the playing field is you bring your drivers to us open source and we'll include them. Otherwise, you know, it's up to you to figure it out.
2: Yeah, well, and... It's one of people's biggest pain points when installing Linux is if they have an NVIDIA graphics card and then they're dealing with this black screen and how do I get this to work and I've done an update and now my drivers don't work anymore and I have a black screen. It's not the fact that NVIDIA doesn't make good graphics cards. They do. They make really good graphics graphics cards. cards. Overpriced. (laughs) But (laughs) if you can't get them to work on your system or... You run an update and then a family member goes to use that system and the screen's black. How is that helpful? How is that not a frustrating situation? So them bringing the drivers not only helps the community, but just being able to update your system.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I can see how you got the job for Hardware Addicts. (laughs) (laughs) You know exactly what buttons to push to get Ryan to go, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: See, I got on my soapbox, and I swore I wouldn't. It was
0: I good. No, I have no. I learned something. I learned something.
1: Now, throughout my years, few years of doing Linux content, this software spotlight is one of those moments where the community. I, I would typically say, randomly in the show, "Hey, I spun up a virtual box of this distro, and I was checking it out." And we would get the Linux community reaching out. Why are you using virtual box? They would keep. Saying that, and I ignored them, and I was wrong, and you I am sorry.
0: Too. <laughs>
1: I was so wrong because this week I've spent a ton of time in Virtual Machine Manager, which is the GUI for managing virtual machines through Libvert, um, and setting up my virtual machines. All the ones that I had in VirtualBox, utilizing this tool as my manager, and it is so much better it is so much faster it is more reliable it is easier to set up vms with i looked at it i remember maybe it was a year into using linux and back then there was a bunch of steps you had you know the magical incantations and in the terminal and stuff and i thought i'm not gonna mess with that i can just install you know oracle VirtualBox and set up my vms and that's kind of been my habit that habit is dead now after using this. It is just so much better. So I, the Software Spotlight goes to Virtual Machine Manager, which is the GUI for all of this that allow you to easily manage your settings and spin up your VMs. I am so happy the community kept beating on me for this in a nice way saying, hey, you really got to stop using uh, Oracle VirtualBox and try this out. I understand why. So this is really a Community Software Spotlight Virtual Machine Manager.
0: And also a huge apologies to your co-host who has been beating this drum since the day you met him. You you have. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's great, actually, because the tips and tricks this week is going to tie perfectly into Ryan's, uh, Ryan's spotlight. Here's why. The thing that that is great about Vert Manager is the fact that it allows you to get console level access to your virtual devices, and it can tunnel over SSH. So the advantage there is, you can set up your VM host on a completely separate machine, install VM, uh, install Vert Manager on any desktop or laptop computer you have, and then connect in. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Vert Manager is going to be deprecated, or as the process has begun, and so there are going to be replacements like Cockpit and and Version all that, but for now, Vert Manager is a great tool that works really well. And one of the things that you can do, if you have the hardware set up for it, is you can have an administrative interface, and you can have a uh, the, the the your regular network interface bridge. So how that might look is this: you have a server, and you purchase one of the cards that we're going to have linked for you in the show notes. It's a dual-headed LAN. Network adapter, and you place this Intel NIC dual-headed NIC adapter inside of whatever your virtual host is. In Ryan's case, and you assign one interface to a management interface on your on your regular admin network, and the other one you assign as your regular bridge pass through. And now, you, Vert Manager will always be able to connect to the host system no matter what's going on with the virtual networking side. And nice. so if you want to change something, or you want to play with something, or you want to modify something, you want to try something, you have the freedom to do that without worrying that you're going to lose connection to your host operating system. That's also true in PFSense. It's also true you can set up a managed switch and have different VLANs and then have that multi-headed NIC that spits out different VLANs on that can tie into different VLANs on those different interface ports. You have the ability to set up, again, like I say, one for control and one for testing. If you want to set up a lab environment. Environment to test, so a bunch of different ways that you can go about doing this. And if you're, if you go to, if you follow Ryan's suggestion and set up a machine, which you should absolutely should do, running uh, libvirt d and 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 virt manager on top, then you're going to need a uh, a, a proper network interface card. And the Intel uh, server network interface cards that have dual heads on them are perfect for just such an appliance. So we invite you to check those out. And uh, absolutely great pick, Ryan. That was that's fantastic.
1: Love it. So
0: a big thank you to each and every
1: one of you for watching, listening, however you take in Destination Linux. We want to thank you. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show, an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep the show going and get perks like access to the live recordings and unedited versions of the show. There is so much content you're missing that happens each and every show that we record. So, you want to go check that out if you can. The best part is you could join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors.
0: Destination Linux Network also offers a new way for you to become part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. Discuss the shows in the network along with listeners around the world in one place. If you're looking for more live chat sessions, then join us on our Telegram group where we'll roll over a thousand members as you join. that, So that's like a challenge. Over the next week, you have to come and join us in our Telegram group so we can meet that 1,000 mark. Already
1: the- passed it. Oh, <laughs> we're already pa-
0: Well, that's not yes. fun. All right. Well, what's our next mark? 11 thousand 2,000. We need 2,000 members. It's your fault that we don't make 2,000 if you're not in the Telegram group and you haven't done it today. So today, you have to go join the Telegram group and help us make it to a 1,000. Interestingly enough, you can chat with one another, share your passion for Linux. Head over to destinationlinux.network to learn more.
2: We love hearing from you. Please get back to us, provide some feedback, ask your burning questions. Remember to send us your video links in your comments to comments at destinationlinux.org. Try to keep your comments brief and they may be included in the future shows.
3: If you want some more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels, so you can check out our sniper waffles at the uh, go into youtube.com slash doskeek, where you can find Ryan filling your, your brains on hardware, software, sniper waffles, and all things Linux. Uh, You can find Zeb by going to YouTube.com says where you can find him live streaming ETS2 and maybe even doing some Gentoo streams as well as other stuff on his Zebity Gaming YouTube channel. You can check out my content at TuxDigital.com, where I do a weekly, in-depth, weekly, uh, well, a weekly, in-depth, weekly Linux canoes podcast, (laughs) This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content. You can find Noah at TheAskNoahShow.com where he does a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. So you can join him and he'll answer all your Linux and Sniper Waffle questions. And also check out Wendy's content. You can find her on the new podcast of the Destination Linux Network, the Hardware Addicts podcast, so stay tuned and check that out by going to DestinationLinux.network and going to the shows section. And also make sure to check out all the other Linux, the Destination Linux Network shows like Linux for Everyone and the Linux 10 Podcasts.
0: Everyone have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as a sniper rifle. <laughs> Thanks,
3: everyone. Wow.
0: I picked up what you were putting down. I saw it. I caught it. I'm a professional. My screen off,
1: so I couldn't see what I was typing right as I started typing.
0: I was like, dang it. it. So I just went with enough. it. I was There's like, good enough. Get it. There's going to be it. so
3: much confusion for people who, have, who are not <laughs> patrons. They're like, what are you ta- Why are you That's keep their saying fault it? are talking being about patrons.
0: sniper rifles, obviously. Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway.